Welcome back, hustlers, to the 5 a.m. Hustle podcast. I'm here with Jamie Bachelor, who is a professional speaker. He works as a leadership trainer, and he also works with executive businesses and corporations and even has helped with the NBA. So real quick, I'll let you kind of explain a little context to the listeners about who you are and what, you're, what you really do in the world. <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, it's an honor to, be, honor to be on your show, guys. So thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, I was a, a, a college basketball coach for uh, 20 years. Then I went and was a high school athletic director for two years at a large athletic uh, school uh, in the state of Indiana. Nobody had won more state uh, basketball titles, boys basketball titles, the fifth largest gym in the country for high school, seated over 7,000 people. And, uh, and then for the last three years, I have been uh, full-time speaking and traveling around the country, working with various sports teams, essentially coaching coaches, uh, leading leaders. And, uh, you know, just doing that, I've written a couple books. I've written uh, three published books and I host uh, Success is a Choice podcast. So uh, yeah, I was uh, glad to uh, be a part of your guys' podcast. I know, uh, I know, uh, you know, how much that they can, uh, they can mean to their listeners and the audience. And so uh, I'm, I'm glad to be joining you guys. Yeah, cool. Of course. Um, so we're just going to dive in. Uh, first question that I have ready for you is, um, I know you did a lot of work um, with coaching and also in the business world in general. So I was wondering what your, what you think defines a good team dynamic, um, especially between a leader and um, everybody else within the team. And like specifically talking about basketball, but then also um, applicable to like the business world for anybody else listening out there. Yeah, uh, probably the best way for me to answer that is, is my kind of my, my vision or my, uh, my philosophy on leadership. And it comes from a guy named John Maxwell. John Maxwell's written over a hundred books on leadership, Forbes and Inc. Magazine, all these places he's been on their cover, you know, this leadership guru, but he, he had this idea years ago that said leadership's not about positions, titles, flow charts, authority. It's not about status. It's about one life influencing another. And I've kind of taken that in my approach, both when I was coaching and I was reading that. And now when I consult with businesses and work with you know, businesses work with teams at all, at all levels. It doesn't matter if you are the coach or a player. It doesn't matter if you're the captain. It doesn't matter if you're a freshman on the team, same way in a business. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO, the middle manager, or it's just a, a, a average, you know, everyday Joe employee. You can be a leader because you can influence somebody. You can have some influence. And, and one of the best ways I think of this is we've all been probably to a, a big stadium, a football stadium, let's say, and the wave is going on. You never see the scoreboard, the jumbotron. You never hear the PA address announcer say, all right, now we're going to start section 29. You're going to start the wave. It starts with one person getting another person who gets another person who gets another person to do the wave. Before you know it, 80,000 fans are doing the wave. It could have been the richest, the poorest, the ugliest, the prettiest, the oldest, the youngest, it doesn't matter. Nobody knows who started the wave, but it started because one person got someone else to do something who got someone else to do something. And so when you look at a team, whether it's business or whether it's sports, you're looking at, all right, how can everybody in this organization or in, on this team contribute and influence one another to, to, to get to a common goal? Uh, we all for the most part, have a shared purpose on a team. 
you know, how can we all achieve this and how can we, how can I play my part? And so, you know, when I was an athletic director and I've seen this in businesses, I might have the greatest emails in the world, or I might put up these great posters in our office, but man, if I have, if I'm short with my secretary or if I give her a bad look, or if I just don't make her feel good in the morning, she's going to do more to hurt our culture and to hurt our team and our organization the same way she's going to do more to help it by all the people she interacts with than I can do with putting up a great poster in our office. And so every single person, I might be the boss, the CEO, but that secretary, those two dudes around the water cooler, they can, they can help your culture or hurt your culture more than anything I can do as the leader with, you know, giving them a rah-rah speech or telling them this is the way they should do things. And so any team, the leader has to see, the positional leader has to see that everybody's important. And then you have to go about empowering your people to make good decisions, empowering your people um, uh, to be the best they can be. And, uh, you know, to kind of wrap that up or, or to wrap that part of it up, a good leader, like a, a manager, a supervisor, a coach, your goal shouldn't be to have good followers. It shouldn't be to have compliant followers. Yes, that's what we would like, but we want more leaders. We want to develop better leaders. My parents, yes, wanted me to do what I was supposed to do, but ultimately they wanted me to help others do what they're supposed to do as well and influence people along the way, not just do what I'm supposed to do and then leave it at that. They wanted me to have more significance in life. Uh, John Maxwell said, success is maximizing your potential and, and doing all that you can. Significance is helping other people do that helping other people be successful. Well, yeah. I think that's an amazing, obviously, way to put it. And I'm very curious because when you look at a team dynamic, whether it's on a basketball team or, or whether it's a team in a company or whatever it may be, a group of people, there's all, there could be someone who maybe plays uh, an insignificant role or someone that's just kind of part of the bunch. A lot of times that person, whether especially on a sports team, wants to be able to elevate the rest of their team and wants to bring out the best of them. What is the best course of action for that player or that team member to do because they're not really in a position of authority like you were talking about? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Jack. And uh, I would go back to the wave analogy. And I don't always have good analogies. I'm the king of bad analogies, really. But the wave thing sticks in my mind. That one person, whoever started that wave for the Chicago Bears, all right, in, in Soldier, at Soldier Field, they would not have gotten the wave done if someone handed them the microphone and they say, all right, everybody, we need to get up and do the wave. But they influenced one person who influenced another who influenced another. And so you got a freshman. Or let's say it's even a senior who maybe isn't the best player or, or someone in the company that's been there for 25 years, but you know, they're not the star salesman or whatever. I guarantee you almost everybody on a team has at least one or two friends, one or two people that will listen to them. Now they might listen to the negativity of that person or they might listen to the positivity, but they're, they will listen to that person. You can influence one or two people, but here's the thing with multiple multiplication or multiplicity or whatever. It's a, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's when a drop of water hits, you know, a drop hits water and they have the ripple effect, you might be able to influence one or two people only, but then they can influence one or two people. 
those people might influence one or two people. So eventually you can get the whole group going a direction you want them to go just by you starting it, you starting that wave. So, you know, let's say you're a basketball team and you're the ninth, uh, you're a ninth grader or you're a freshman or you're somebody that's not playing much. You're probably down at the end of the bench next to the water cooler and next to the sports medicine trainer, the athletic trainer. Okay. Well, there's going to be stars that pass you the whole game. People that are playing are going to pass you the whole game to get water at the water cooler. Are you going to ignore them? Are you going to say, yeah, coach is an idiot or yeah, I don't know why coach pulled you. Are you going to distract them? Are you going to encourage them? Are you going to give them some constructive criticism or, you know, now that they might not listen to you, but what if that's your friend and, and freshmen or people that don't play much, uh, it doesn't even have to be freshmen. When I, when I played, uh, I remember specifically in high school and we were just having a Facebook thread, you know, talking trash about some stuff back in our high school days, you know, being juvenile just the other day. But there were two seniors when I was a senior, there was a total of like six or seven of us, but there were two seniors that never played. They never played. So they weren't freshmen, but they were seniors who never played. And so, and so if uh, those, it doesn't have to be like, I had a, a, uh, a relationship with them because I was seniors. So if I walk past them, they're at the end of the bench because they're not playing. I walk past them to get a, a, a drink or whatever, and I'm friends with them. And they say, hey, Jamie, you didn't run the floor very hard. Or, hey, Jamie, you didn't do this. Or, hey, Jamie, maybe you should try doing this next time. And I would have listened to them because I was their friend. They were my friend. And so I'm going to listen to them where maybe, you know, somebody that I'm not a friend, I'm not friends with, would have said the same thing. And I would have been like, man, what's you talking about? You don't even play, you know, and unfortunately that would be the attitude. So with all this stuff, you really don't ever want to approach somebody you're not close with because they're not really going, they don't, there's not that respect there because we're all in the sales business. You know, Jack, uh, Mish, you're, you guys are in the sales business. Every time you're trying to convince your parents of something, every time you're trying to convince a teacher of something, you know, you're in the sales business, but people aren't going to buy from you unless they know, like, and trust you, you know, your teacher is not going to say, Oh, you know what, Jack, that's all right. You don't have to turn in your homework if they don't know, like, and trust you. If they don't, if, if, if they don't trust you, if they think you're pulling the wool over their eyes or you're always screwing around and they just don't like you, they're not going to listen to you and they're not going to buy what you're selling. We're all selling something. And so, you know, that's the same way with me. If, if I'm a freshman or I'm somebody that's maybe doesn't have a big status on the team, then I'm not going to influence anybody that doesn't respect me. But there's probably two or three people that respect me, two or three people that I have influence over that I'm friends with. I yeah. totally agree. That's like, cause I, I obviously coming, uh, I come from more of a background of sports. I played many, many team sports growing up, but what was very interesting is with the sport of tennis, it's very individual, but there was uh, one athlete in particular that I spent a lot of time with uh, the past few years and he was kind of on my team per se, me and him would train together every day. And I, he was a little bit younger than me, but he was at my level and even growing past that an exponential level. But I understood that I was able to help him mentally because he struggled with getting angry every once in a while, or uh, maybe didn't work as hard as the coach would like to, liked him. And I was able to influence him on a greater level than if it was someone who I just trained with every once in a while. Once I was able to build that trust with him and that personal connection, which I totally agree with. That's an amazing point. Yeah, it, it, you know, I have, we've all been a part of something 
where there's somebody that's mouthing off or somebody that's very vocal about something and you're like, dude, who are you to say anything? Or what, why are you even talking right now? Or, you know, it's just like, you don't respect them. And, you know, especially on a, a sport, let's say you're running sprints or something, or you're in gym class or whatever. And, and, and you're all doing this activity together. And the guy that's the most vocal is probably the guy that's not touching the lines or probably is not winning every sprint but they're trying to make themselves look like they're in charge or look some way. And people are just shaking their head because they don't have respect for that person. You don't pick up your game. You don't pick up your effort because this guy said something, but if your buddy, like you said, uh, Jack, if your buddy who you respect says something, you may not uh, listen to him because you don't want to really listen to what he's saying, but you're certainly not going to listen to someone you don't know or that you don't like, you're more likely to listen to that other person. I've been out and I know this is a hot button topic, you know, socially, but I've been out at, I go to a lot of basketball games, especially in our community. Uh, I try to support our community teams. And so I'll go to these basketball games or football games. And invariably there'll be, you know, kids that don't stand for the national anthem, or there'll be kids that don't take off their hat for the national anthem. Okay. If I say like, I think that you should show respect. Okay. That's what I think. And, and I think even if you don't like that, you still show respect. But regardless of any of that, I am not going to tell those kids, take off your hat or, hey, you got to stand up for that because they don't know me because I'm just the old man on the lawn saying, get off my lawn. You know, they don't know me and I'm, I'm just a resounding gong. I'm just some loud dude, old dude. If I know them, if there's somebody that I've had interactions with, maybe they've even bought my book. Maybe we've, we've interacted at times, then I might say something to them in passing, or I might try to say something that, that doesn't call them out in front of others. So they have to defend their pride. But if they don't know me, then they're not going to buy what I'm selling. And then at that minute I'm selling, Hey, you should show respect. Hey, you should do this. They're not going to buy that because they don't know, like, or trust me right then. Yeah, no, for sure. I think um, it also kind of like boils down to, if you think about it from like an evolutionary point of view, if you, like if you're hunting and somebody comes up to you, you would rather like, you would rather know that they're not going to kill you in your sleep. And like, you, you care about that more than you care about, Oh, are they good at hunting? Like, will they be good at hunting with me? Right. I think that's kind of what, like what the essence of that is. Um, so I had a question. Are you familiar with the concept of servant leadership? Cause I feel like you touch upon it a lot. Um, in a lot of the things that you talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great concept. I appreciate you bringing that up. It's uh, I think a positional leader or any leader for that matter, but a positional leader really needs to be a servant, and and that's not a sign of weakness. That's not a sign of oh, I'm just this, uh, you know, I'm a nobody. I, I once heard uh, the writer C.S. Lewis. He wrote uh, like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, yeah. the Narnia Chronicles. Yeah. He, uh, and, and he's the one that I heard say this first or read say this first, but he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking, wait, did I get that? Humility is not thinking uh, less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not that you think you stink or that you're not capable of anything. It's just that you put others first. You don't think about yourself quite as much. You're going to think of the needs of others. And, and we see this in sports all the time. And, and, you know, Jack, I don't know about your teams, but the majority of teams in America, the freshmen have to carry the bags or the freshmen have to do this or the, fr and it might not even be hazing. 
you know, it's not hazing, but it's just, well, it's just, you know, the freshmen are going to have to do these chores or these jobs. I've earned my dues. I've, you know, I've paid my dues. I don't have to do this as a senior. And I think the seniors should be fighting to get to the back and fighting to be the one that holds the door open for people to go into that restaurant. Uh, they shouldn't be the ones that get to go first just because they're older than somebody else or just because they quote unquote paid their dues. Because I think you're, you don't earn any respect that way. You earn fear. You earn, well, okay, yeah, it's reinforcing that I'm up here and you're down here. And I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's the healthy culture. Uh, that that's the best form of, uh, of building a culture, building a team. And certainly it works, you know, at, at places, some, some places it can work, but I'm going to guess that most of the time it or rarely works. If you don't have overwhelming talent, your team doesn't win when you hold the freshmen down, elevate the seniors. You don't win unless you have superior talent. The average teams don't win doing that, but average teams do win when everybody is picking up the slack and everybody's contributing uh, and it's a total team effort. Of course. And what's very unique, actually, it's funny you brought that up is that when I was a freshman, I was on the varsity tennis team and we had the biggest freshman class on varsity we'd ever had. And some of them were in very like crucial, crucial roles in the team. And so the seniors, some of them that were lower had to understand that these players are very good and they will be instrumental to our team. And yes, sometimes we had to carry the water, or do whatever. But I think one of the best examples, especially in tennis, because it's hard to unite people when it's an individual sport, an example of uh, building a team kind of culture is when when coach tells you to run or that like someone got beat or someone didn't try their hardest, go run another lap. I remember my freshman year, I decided, I was like, I'll, I'll run with you. It's a team effort. And then I, the whole rest of the team came. And even though I was a freshman, I, I did that act. The fact that the rest of the team did come gave a lot of respect to that individual. And they realized that that wasn't going to be, that wasn't the standard that the team was going to hold just because he had to do extra work. We did it too. And so it, was, it built that culture that we expected more of each other. That's great. I love that, Jack. Yeah. Um, I think there's something that um, – Simon Sinek, he's like also somebody that writes a lot of leadership books and everything. I, something interesting that he talked about is like, I think one of his books is titled uh, Leaders Eat Last or something. <laughs> right. And it talks about, it talks about how uh, specifically like highest ranking members of the army, like generals will always eat last because it just goes to show that um, they're a leader. Right. And it's their, it's their responsibility to make sure that everybody else is okay first. And I think that's just, shows that kind of level of servant leadership. That's a, that's a great, uh, yeah, that's a great point. And I, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I think if you have to, essentially, if you have to tell people that you're the boss or show people that you're the boss or you're in charge, you probably aren't a very good leader. Um, you're probably overcompensating for something. Uh, you know, you just, you know, like, like you say with the generals or whatever from Simon Sinek's book, you know, if, that's going to gain so much more respect from their men, but they don't have to tell people that I have five or, you know, two stars on my, on my shoulders or I have stars. They know that I'm in a position of leadership. What they want to see is, am I a true leader? You know, your teachers, we know that they're in a position of leadership, your principal, you know, our managers, our CEOs, our coaches, we know they're in a position of leadership, but that's the basic level. 
Uh, John Maxwell talks about five levels of leadership and the most basic is positional. That's because that's where people follow you because they have to, you know, we want to get people following us because they want to, uh, that they give us permission to lead that, that we've earned the right to lead them. Not just that we have, you know, a certain uniform or a certain title on our business card. And, uh, yeah, a great book, a great book. I, I think it could have been about half as long though. Simon Sinek's way too smart for me. And, uh, that, that book could have probably been half as long because, uh, there was, there was way too much good stuff in it. Uh, he went way too much with research. He's just much smarter than me. <laughs> I think, uh, an, a very interesting example of, cause obviously leadership is very nuanced. It's like a technical skill where it's not going to be the same for every single person as well. Like I was, I was reading the book, uh, laws of human nature by Robert Greene. And one of the stories he talks about is general, or it's a, it's a boat captain. They went to Antarctica uh, for some expedition and the boat ended up getting uh, caught and hit by a glacier and they were stuck there and they somehow, Oh, uh, Shackleton. And they somehow were able to get out. But the only way they did is because Shackleton knew each person, what they were afraid of, how he needed to act to each person. Like one person, he had a baby and allow them to kind of sit down because they got overwhelmed. The other one, he had to give a task to do to really fulfill them and allow them to have their purpose on the team. He had to change the way he acted around each person uh, in order to get them home. And they had to, uh, he put one person in charge while the, they made the boat and dropped people off in a certain area to get to an island. And they ended up somehow getting home after be, being stranded at Antarctica for a very long period of time. Yeah. And, and, and Namish, you asked earlier, I mean, one of your first questions was just about teams and, and leadership just in general. But I mean, I don't, I've lost track of the number of times a business or a coach has asked me to come in to fix their team or to fix them, you know, whoever them is, you know, fix these employees, fix these players. And it's like, okay, it's not a us versus them. It's not an adversarial thing. It's not, they screwed up and I am, you know, innocent here. It's a team effort. And almost always, you know, it really, one of the things as leaders that we sometimes, we sometimes say is it's not my fault or we think that it's not my fault. And you know what? It may not be your fault, but it is 100% your responsibility as the leader to make things happen, to find a solution. And that might be you admitting uh, that you could have done something better, uh, admitting that maybe you didn't communicate properly. Uh, yeah, I, communi I, I communicate all the time well. Well, yeah, I communicate if it's one way, if it's just a speech. <laughs> um, but even at a speech, you know, you still got to say things clear enough that people understand. When you communicate, it takes two to tango. You got to have a message that people actually interpret the way you intended it. Um, but oftentimes as leaders, we're like, well, they didn't do this. Or, well, my people aren't showing up. They just, they missed too many days of work. Okay, well, are you inspiring them to come to work? I, I worked with this one person. He's like, I pay them really well. I don't understand why they're unhappy. I'm like, money doesn't matter after a while. Like it matters every Friday or every other Friday on payday. But when they're there at work for those eight hours, money doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter how much they're getting paid if they don't like it. Um, you know, you've got to find ways to inspire. And as leaders, you've got to find you're responsible for taking your group from where they are to where they need to be. Um, and, uh, you know, so, yeah, so many times people will say, hey, Jamie, can you fix this? Can you do this? And I'm like, uh, yeah, we'll work on it. We're going to work on it. Yeah, for sure. I know I did a leadership 
um, I went to like a leadership seminar thing. I forgot for what, but it was like they brought this um, sort of motivational speaker slash leadership speaker to talk to us for like the day. Um, and he did this really cool um, example where he grabbed like four random people from the audience and he gave them a sheet of paper and he was like, okay, like he blindfolded all of them. And he was like, okay, fold this in half. Now fold it in half again. And then he was like, here your scissors, like cut it up, cut like an inch off. Right. And so now you have all these kids that are like cutting off various lengths. And then he's like, okay, unfold it now. And they're all blindfolded. Right. So they don't, they don't exactly know how much they're cutting off. Um, and at the end of it, he goes, who failed? And then we're all like, Oh, this one failed this one. Failed. And he's like, no, I failed them because I didn't give them clear enough instructions on how to do it. And I think 100%, that's 100%. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of want to move on just a little bit because uh, a lot of what you understand, what you can help us with is um, what I love, which is obviously developing character in a person as a coach for many years, you were, pro- you were able to work with obviously a lot of student athletes, a lot of athletes in general, and you were able to, uh, like you said, influence and be a leader for them. And I want to know your take and how you're able to uh, take someone and foster their character and to build that over the course of a four-year time span. <laughs> Yeah, well, I would love to say that I I did well with everybody that I coached, but that wasn't the case. But the kids that I was able to connect with or the players I was able to make connections with, going back to the no like and trust, you know, what if they were if if they were buying what I was selling, if we connected, then we were able to move them along um better. But I tried not to look at our players as commodities. I try not to look at them as all right, when they make that turnover or we lose that game they just cost me a raise or they cost me a promotion or it cost me getting a, another job somewhere. Um, I try not to look at them as just pawns uh, in a, in a, in a game. They, they weren't, they were people. And I also tried to look at them as, you know, they're, they're humans that, that are going to make mistakes just like I made mistakes, just like I still make mistakes. And so I tried to connect with them. I tried to treat them with respect, whether they deserved it or not. Uh, I know a lot of times people will, I find I find it disturbing in our culture that there's a lot of people that feel like if you disrespect me, then I have every right to disrespect them. And I, I know that's not a popular take, actually. Um, you know, it doesn't matter who the president is. That's my president. Uh, it doesn't matter who my boss is. And if their boss, my boss is a jerk, that doesn't give me the right to be a jerk to them because respect and character is more of a sign of you and what, who you are and what character you have than the other person that you're dealing with. And so my players, they might come from bad backgrounds or they might make bad mistakes. Uh, they might make poor choices. They might be someone that's not really respect that I have a hard time respecting that maybe I don't even like, but there's still people and they still have hurts and fears and things in their life that I don't know about, or maybe they're at a different place than than obviously I am as a coach. Um, and so I tried to treat people with respect as much as possible. It's not always easy. Uh, and I didn't always do it uh, as well as I could. But when you're trying to take someone and help someone get better, and that's why I was in coaching or more specifically, that's why I was at small college for most of my career. I started off at division one. And uh, I actually liked the small college better. I played at a small college, so I stayed at a small college most of my life after Division One, where I started. And uh, I enjoyed the interactions I had there 
Uh, it wasn't so much of a business, you know, we're, we're not getting fired if we lose every year. Right. Uh, that kind of stuff. We're not responsible for bringing in millions and millions of dollars to our institution. So there's a little bit more leeway for me, but, but I wanted to help people. Uh, my coaches helped me. Uh, some of my biggest role models were my coaches. And so I wanted to have that same effect on other people. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I just want to kind of understand a little bit of your philosophy and what you really think about the idea of how to deal with mistakes a player may make or if they um, talk back to you or if they are they aren't playing the best. How do you deal with a situation like that? Yeah, you got to understand where they're coming from. Understand, you know, not just what they were thinking at that moment that they made the mistake, but understand them, period. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with uh, I've also got to be self-aware and evaluate myself honestly as a leader. Did I equip them? Did I prepare them properly to handle different situations? Uh, oftentimes we'll say, well, I, I you know, I told you that. I told you that you shouldn't do this, or I told you how to do this, or, uh, you know, whatever. Well, you told them once or twice. You know, I mean, how many times does my wife tell me to pick up my socks and I still don't do it? You know, it, 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 we, even as adults, have to be told multiple, multiple times. Sometimes we have to tell kids multiple, multiple times or in different ways. We have to find out what that carrot is, uh, what motivates them, what inspires them, them tick and we got to get inside their minds a little bit which can be scary sometimes get inside people's minds but we got to understand their perspective uh we see this coming back to social issues we see this all the time people argue with one another and i'm not sure that one's right one's wrong they just see things differently uh one of the things i do when i go to a lot of places is we'll do some perspective activities and one of them is you know there's a nine or a floor and one person see nine, the other person sees a six mm -hmm. right from what they're seeing they're just seeing it differently and that's how a lot of times we see things differently than others especially as a coach a coach is going to see stuff differently than a player because you have more experience you have uh different agendas uh you have different backgrounds and you're older uh and your position is different so you're always going to see things differently doesn't mean one person's right one person's right. you have to understand the other side before you can even try to sell them on something or find out, all right, is there a, dip, a better way or a different way that I can tell this person um, what I need to tell them? But, you know, mistakes are going to happen. Mistakes are going to happen in business. Mistakes are going to happen on the tennis court. Uh, you know, Jack, I would hope that you never have any unforced errors as a tennis player, but you're going to have some unforced errors. Yep. That's going to happen. Now, your coach might think, how can he do this over and over again? Why is he committing the same unforced error or doing the same thing over and again because it happens uh, but as a leader we have to look at that and say have I exhausted every means possible to help Jack in these situations and maybe it's we got to do something different in practice maybe we got to ramp up something or maybe we got to put Jack under some some pressure situations maybe we got to you know and I have no idea what it would be but maybe bring out a big fan a wind machine and put it right on the baseline where it's blowing at him or or blowing against him or give them some bad tennis ball to hit with or uh you know make the lights dimmer so it's darker out there or you know have some big posters of kittens or something you know to distract them i don't know but do something to change some stuff up you know as coaches we sometimes don't do that we just get in a rut or a routine and we just all right i'm going to tell jack the same thing i've told him every day for the last 10 years or last four years 
okay, well, maybe that's the wrong thing you need to be telling them or change up your method. Uh, but, but be self-aware, evaluate what you're doing as a leader. Yeah. Something I really admire about um, your philosophy, Jamie, is that you're understanding. I think that's something that we're like lacking so much. Um, I'm, I'm a little involved in politics. I like generally enjoy just like reading the news and following. So I feel like that's something that we are so deprived of in today's politics is that we have so many people that they to see the humanity within each other first. And then in getting, in getting caught up in the politics, we forget that we're, we're all just people. Right. And I feel like that's something that like you see the business, you see it through politics. Right. But especially with politics, right. Your experiences define your political views. Um, whatever you were taught growing up or whatever you come to experience that how you define your political view. So I think that that's something that like, if we were all just more understanding, I feel like the world would just be a better place in general. Right. It's like, do you, if you're like, I think Simon Sinek touched upon this, right. Do you want, if you're a, uh, if you're an employee at a company, do you want your boss to come in and say, your numbers are down for the past quarter, pick it up. Or do you want them to say your numbers are down the past quarter? What's wrong? Like, can I help out? Do you need to take a couple of days off or something? Yeah. What, what can I do to help? What, what can I do? Is there something we're not, uh, is there something we're not giving you that, uh, that you need and, uh, stuff like that. And a lot of times, you know, we don't, there, there are a lot of times where we're, we're not equipping people. We're not giving people exactly what they need to get the job done. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and, you know, uh, uh, you say that you're big into politics and, uh, you know, I feel like there's way too much politicians and not enough leaders. And, and, you know, but I know from a, um, just from a, a, a theoretical or from, from most people, it's just common to say, you know, this person is a leader because they're in a position of leadership. Right. And oftentimes we're, we just don't have, we don't have people that are in leadership positions that are true leaders, at least in the sense that, that I, that I understand leadership to be, or I think leadership should be. Um, I think we have way too many power hungry people, whether it's in politics or coaching or teaching or CEOs. Like I said, John Maxwell, the basic level is people follow you because they have to. Um, I don't want to follow someone just because I have to. I want to follow them because I give them permission to lead me because I believe that they might not be right all the time, but they are, I, I believe their motives. I believe their motives are good. I believe that they're trying to do what's right uh, as opposed to do they have an agenda? And, and we, see this, we see this all the time. And, and it's gotten to the point where it doesn't matter if, if you're a Republican or a Democrat. It doesn't matter what kind of where you're at on that spectrum, but you distrust the other side because it's almost like it's hard to bipartisan because people, people distrust you. Like what's your agenda? What's your motive in doing this? Right. And, and we, don't, we don't need that. We need leaders that have earned the trust of people that even if I'm on the other side, if I come to you with this idea, it's not because I'm going to get rich off of it, not because I'm trying to get reelected, and it's not because uh, I'm, I'm just trying to check boxes. Um, yeah. It's because this is what's right for our country or this is what's right for my constituency, not this is what's right for me. But I don't know how we get that genie back in the bottle because the, the fact of the matter, and, and, and you would know this better than me being a, like a student of politics, but 
you really have to be a politician to get elected. Well, Leaders yeah. don't necessarily get elected. Uh, well, just like homecoming queens are not normally, uh, or beauty queens are not normally the most talented people. They're normally, you know, the, the most attractive. And politicians make themselves attractive. Right. I think that that's just like, I feel like there's other aspects to that whole bipartisan thing too, right? So let's take, for example, um, the Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter movement, right? You can be on either side, but if you, if you subscribe to one of those movements, it's like you're against the other one. And I feel like that's, that's what we have a too much of like a dismissive tone in how we, and this ties back into leadership too, right? It's like, you can't dismiss somebody else's viewpoints um, just because you don't agree with it. Right. And I feel like there's way too many times where like those two things are mutually exclusive. Right. I can be like, I don't think that people, um, for race should be disproportionately shot, but I also don't think that all cops are bad people. Right. Um, and I think that just kind of plays into it, but I've also, I've also just learned in general that people that are best suited to lead don't necessarily seek it. Like you can practice it and you can like get there, but a lot of the people that are really best suited to lead don't seek it because they're like scared of being power hungry or they want to help out other people. And then they view these like politicians or leaders in a negative light because of their past experiences. Or, or you see, or you see how you just get crucified when you are a leader um, by yeah. somebody, you know, and, and who wants to, who wants to subject themselves to the, you know, we have, I think, probably less and less people, good people running for political office, because why do they want to have to go through the scrutiny of uh, everybody, you know, bashing them, bashing their family, just because they're, they have an R or a D next to their name, you know, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, back in the day, you know, if you were a Republican or you were a Democrat, that stood for something like uh, not it, it, like you could put people in a box a little bit more like this was a platform, but our world has been so nuanced. Yeah. Um, and, and you can be a fiscal conservative, but socially a liberal, you know, and it's like, okay, well, am I an R or am I a D? And that's where people just have to treat people like people and they have to treat humans like humans. And can we understand the other person? Can I understand where you're coming from? And let's not be so quick to judge people. Um, you know, Abraham Lincoln once said of the South in the Confederacy. Now, I mean, if he said this, he would be just destroyed. But he said of the Confederacy, the Confederate soldiers, he said, we shouldn't criticize them because they are exactly what we would be if we were in their situation. Right. We forget that sometimes and, and we don't see someone else's point of view. And it doesn't mean we're right or wrong. It doesn't mean they're right or wrong. But we just... We have to understand that people sometimes make decisions based upon their situation. And it doesn't mean that they're right, but we shouldn't be so quick to judge them because we see this all the time. You know, uh, someone will get, you know, just lambasted in the media by one side. And then six months later, the, like the tables will be turned and the other side who was saying that was so unfair yeah. is now doing the same exact thing. And it's like, guys, at some point we got to stop chasing our tail here and actually lead. And we got to say, let's do what's right. But that's tough to do. We're not going to fix the world's woes, but if we can, if we can influence one person at a time, uh, I was having a discussion with a person uh, the other day, an older person who was really set in their ways. And I was bringing up a couple of these things and I was kind of showing them, I was kind of introducing some inconsistencies to their mind about some stuff. 
And they started to be like, huh, I never thought of that. Oh, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. Well, you don't do that junk on Facebook. You know, <laughs> on, on Twitter and Facebook, you're not doing that because you're, you're limited by 140 characters or 280 characters or you're limited by something, but, but you're just out to prove a point. You know, you're just out to prove that you're smarter than everybody else. You're not actually out to have dialogue with somebody. And so that's where I say leadership. It's really just influencing one person at a time. And, and that's what we can do is, is, first of all, we have to be open-minded. Now, now not open-minded that our brain falls out, <laughs> but we have to be open-minded enough to think that, you know what, I might not be the smartest man that ever lived. So I might be wrong on something. Or I might not understand everything that's going on here. Um, you know, we, you know, not every dude that, that, you know, some of the same people, and this is, this is not a popular take, but not, there was a lot of people that, that said with the recent death of the young man in Georgia, uh, you know, that was an absolutely disgraceful crime and, and that should never ever happen. But there were a lot of people saying, Hey, just cause a black kid is out running doesn't mean that they stole something. It's like, you're absolutely right. We shouldn't even have to say that, but you know what? Just because you have a long beard and you're white and you're carrying a gun doesn't make you a racist either. Now there are a lot of racists like that and there are black kids that, commit crimes and there are white kids that commit crimes and there are we we get in this situation where we box we box so many people into things and right. we just prejudge so many people but then it's flipped we don't think about that because we're just so against this thing and and it, it doesn't matter if it's socially or on our team you know well this kid is a certain way all the time you mean you can't change ever or in our business, you know, this person's always late or they don't care about working. No, they're lazy. Well, let's, let's see why they're lazy. Let's see why they do what they do. Let's work with them as a person and not just a stereotype. Um, you know, and, and that's so frustrating as a leader because you're like, let's stop pigeonholing everybody into this, 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 uh, this, this little box or paint people in a corner and let's just treat people with respect and treat people uh, with dignity. So yeah, I, have, I, totally agree. I have a, sorry. Um, I have, I have a question that I like, this is something that the pendulum swings back and forth for me. Um, so I was just wondering like your take on this idea. Do you think in general, when it comes to like making um, advances in business, like trying to change up your business atmosphere, or even in politics or whatever, do you think it's better to be um, more moderate in those ideas or more radical? And that's something that like I've switched them back and forth on a lot, right? And like you can tie back into business. Do you want to change something? Take small little steps or do you just change like a lot in one day? Or like in politics, right? It's like, yeah, realistically, you can probably get a lot done if you're moderate, but some of the greatest movements ever known to mankind were very radical. Yeah. Um that's a great question, which is why you asked it, because it doesn't, it's hard to come up with a, a set answer to that. I would say when you're dealing with organizations, uh, I think probably want to do things a little bit more gradual and slowly, unless you want to get rid of everybody in your organization, because people don't like change for the most part. Um, you know, uh, how many people love going to 
I don't, I, I, I'm just going to throw out, I like going there, but Applebee's. People like to go to Applebee's. And if you said you could go to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse tonight, it'd be like, no, I, I like Applebee's. Eating good in the neighborhood. I like that chicken breast. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that just want that comfort. They, they, they just want what they're used to. They want comfortability over better. Comfortable, people like to be comfortable. And, and a lot of us are like that. And so when you go into a company or a team, if you have to change something, you probably want to change with the low-hanging fruit as much as possible. So start slow. Start baby steps. I don't, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Dave Ramsey, the financial guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Dave Ramsey, this, this big guru of finances, but there's also a lady named Susie Ormond. Susie Ormond is also big into finances. They have two completely different ideas when it comes to how to approach debt. If you're in debt, uh, let's say $100,000, you're in debt. The Orman will say, you take the biggest debt and you work on that and you try to get rid of that because that's going to have the biggest interest rate and that's going to save you money along the way. That's gonna, that's, you're going to spend less money if you can get rid of the big debt. Dave Ramsey says, take the smallest debts first and work on those. You will still be paying money on the big debt. All right. That's not good. But most people are, are habit driven. What are their habits? They're either going to be good habits or bad habits. You want to see success as his, his mentality. I, I even more towards that. And so the low hanging fruit, taking those smaller debts and just getting rid of them to start with trying to get some small wins along the way. Now, Susie Ormond's technically is correct. Like financially numbers wise, she is correct. Human nature, Dave Ramsey, is probably correct. Um, so when you go, to the question, when you go into a business or a team or anything you want to change, I think go for that low-hanging fruit. Change what you can change without losing your people, unless you want to lose them. You know, if you want to get rid of everybody, that's fine. But people are bell against that change a lot of times. And so I think, I think take that slow. You know, if you're driving a car, once again, remember, I'm king of bad cliche. You're driving a car, you're driving a motorcycle. And you realize that you have to go back this way, okay, that, that you missed a turn or whatever, you're not going to immediately just turn that wheel because you're going to flip your car or flip your motorcycle. So you're not going to do just an abrupt change. You're going to slow down or you're going to make a gradual turn. And, I, and that's how I look at when you, when you go into a company, uh, when you go into a team and you got to change something. Now, Honestly, I don't have an answer for, uh, Namish, what you said about uh, some of the greatest uh, movements in history. I, I can't speak against that, you know, how they were r- radical. Um, you know, I, I would say I think a lot of those, though, had some foundations being set years in advance and a yeah. lot of people having to sacrifice, um, you know, before there was a lot that built up to that we didn't see necessarily uh you know a lot of death a pain a lot of sacrifice Mm -hmm. but yeah sometimes it does take you know just a a big drum sounded so that people it gets our attention um and i don't really have an answer to why those are different yeah i mean obviously that's very interesting but i want to shift just a little bit because we've been talking a lot about leaders talking about a lot of uh, people being able to develop others and uh, outside influence, but I kind of want to toward inwards to an individual person 
And I'm curious how they can go about whether it's creating a new habit, whether it's setting goals. How do they make the first steps look inward and decide, like, what's my purpose? How do I decide where I want to go? And whether it's in sports, life, or business? Uh, I have a very simple answer. And this isn't – you probably need to talk to a psychologist to, to get something deeper. But just ask yourself – sit down, actually take a moment and take off your headphones, stop listening to your music your, or, or get off the phone, get off the TV, whatever it is, stop watching Netflix for, for just a, a brief moment and think about what is important to you. Um, and, and that's hard. I don't think we self-reflect enough. Uh, the average commute, the average commute uh, when we are working and not in quarantine or whatever, but it's like 22 minutes. So the majority of this world has 44 minutes a day, essentially on average that they can think, but we don't do that. You know, put in our, we listen to music or we're on our phone. We're, we're never self-evaluating. We're never taking the time to just evaluate and to plan ahead. Abraham Lincoln said, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first four hours sharpening the ax. Um, I don't think we plan enough. I don't think we prepare enough. Uh, and think about what we need to do. Think about what our next steps are. Think about what our goals are. So I know you were asking for something concrete. I don't have something concrete. That's my uh, amateur psychologist of the Nike slogan. Just do it. Just, just, you know, stop making an excuse and just figure out what you want, figure out what your why is, what's most important. And, and most of the time you can figure that out with, your time and your money, seeing where your time goes and where your money goes. And that's what's most important. But maybe you're unhappy with that stuff. There's plenty of rich people that are unhappy. Uh, there's plenty of, of uh, you know, people busy, you know, spending a lot of time doing stuff that are unhappy. Um, they're just in a rat race. And so I didn't really answer your question real well. I'm sorry about that, Jack. But, no, it's all good. Uh, you know, there are plenty of times where, where something will happen to me and I will start to get mad about it or I'll start to get upset about it or, or whatever. And then there's almost this little, you know, devil and angel on my shoulder or whatever, but I'll, I'll get this, th this thing will come into my head and be like, be mentally tough. Just be tough. Just why are you doing this? You know, just snap out of it. And, you know, I, that's been from years of trying to be mentally tough. And I don't think I'm very mentally tough, uh, especially anymore. Um, I was more so as an athlete, probably. I try to, all right, this ticked me off. This is frustrating me. Or I'm going to tweet about this. And then it's like some mechanism kicks in. And it's like, nope, don't do that. That's not what you're about. Or that's not your brand. Or what, what will that do? Or, you know, you just, you don't need to react that way. And so I'm always kind of holding myself in check. And I know that's not exactly what you were asking, but, um, you know, you just need to figure out what is important to you. And, and most of us just don't slow down enough to do that. Yeah. I think like you said, the self-reflection is very important. I think my favorite part of my day is obviously I get up very early and I have a whole morning routine. My favorite part is when I get to journal, I get to, I do, I write down what happened the day before, what went well, what didn't, my wins and losses, how can I keep the wins going, how can I minimize the losses, and then I, uh, I write different things of what I want to do the day, during the day, how I want to feel, and then I write, uh, I don't know if you know who Indy Frizzella is, but he has something called the power list, and he says you need each day have five of your most important tasks listed off, and if you complete those in the given day, 
then you have a successful day or a win for the day. And so having that plan and having to think about that every day, like what do I actually need to do? And once those things become habits, you can switch one out for the other. You can say, okay, I'm eating well every day. I can take that out. But now I need to contact 20 people um, to get more guests yeah. in the podcast each and every day. So you need to, you can switch those in and out every single day. And it's kind of helped me develop not only good habits that help me uh, develop myself as in good character and keep myself productive, but it also keeps me thinking and reflecting on, is this what I want to be doing? Am I, do I need to switch things up or do I need to just keep going with what I'm doing? Yeah, that's good. That, I love that, especially to hear that from students, uh, student athletes, uh, whatever. Uh, you know, it's, it's great to hear that kind of stuff. And, you know, I like to read books. Um, I like to listen to podcasts. You know, just keep, keep you know, as, uh, keep the garbage out as much as possible. Uh, I, you know, and, and this, is, this sounds like a criticism, and I don't mean it to be a criticism, but it does sound like it went. But, you know, 22-minute average commute – you know, if I have a, if I have a 30 minute car ride, I'm listening to a podcast. Someone else, the majority of people are listening to music. Well, I just got, I feel like I got smarter or I feel like I developed myself better than I would have if I had listened to Drake or Post Malone or, you know, whoever, you know, on the way to, uh, on the way to my work or on the way to here or there, because, you know, listening to music might calm people. But for me personally, I want to get fed and I want to get ideas and I want to think about things. I'm also the same dude, you know, going back to our talk on politics. I'm also the same guy that's going to watch CNN and Fox. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to look at both of their websites and it, it is really funny to look at both of their websites sometimes. I did that, see, I did that too. <laughs> but then to see one of them, you know, there's this big headline about something and the other, you can't even find anything about that headline, you know, on yeah, the other I'm ones. Gonna, I'm gonna but, like flip-flops, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's like, it's like every four years or like every eight years, the president changes, right? One of them is like really critical of it. And then the other one is like reporting like local news or something. Right, right. But, you, but, but I, I want to get my mind percolating. I want to be thinking about stuff because, and not just because of what I'm in, you know, not just because I deal with so many people and I'm always out there talking and, and exchanging ideas, but just, I want to make sure that I continually grow. Like, I don't want to be this person that just sits on the couch and binge watches Netflix all the time. I kind of wish I was sometimes, but like, I don't want to be the person that does, like you hear it all the time. Like people retire or this and that, and they, or they, they like right now during COVID-19, they don't know what to do with themselves. And it's like, I, I never bored. Uh, my, my, my 10 year old makes fun of me cause he'll say I'm bored and I'll say boring people get bored. Um, <laughs> I'm never bored. Uh, My mind's always working. That's why it's hard to sleep sometimes. Um, I have a hard time sleeping because my mind is always working and it doesn't make me better. That's just how, that's just what I'm like now. Now I wasn't always like that. I wasn't like that as an eighth grader. Um, I just developed that through the years, just different influences and stuff along the way. And, you know, I'm the same guy that, you know, going into my senior year of high school, I heard I, I was running. I was running track and I heard that, uh, you know, the, the bubbles, the carbonation and pop depleted your oxygen and made you have less uh, cardio or less uh, oxygen. You know, I'm not a sports physiologist, but it made sense to me. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to stop drinking pop. And then I got to the end of or soda for those of you not from the North. 
So I'm, or Coke for those in the South, but I stopped drinking sodas. And then at the end of that senior year, I went off to college and I'm like, you know what? I did this for a year. I can't stop. I got a year going. And so I did it for four years of college, no carbonation for four years of college. That means no alcohol. Oh my gosh. I'm a college kid. But <laughs> so for five years I did that. And each year it was like, man, I can't quit now. Cause I, that's the person I was, I would, I'd be in the shower. And I would try to make the shower really cold to see how long I, you know, stand where I had to turn the hot water up again. Mm-hmm. You know, I would just do stupid things like that because Lord have mercy. I didn't want to go to the Navy SEALs. That was real stuff, you know, but, but this was going to be my mental toughness. Training, so I would always do stupid things like that. And it's just kind of carried over where I try to keep my mind. Yeah, Jack is sharp. like jumping up in his seat right now because he takes cold sure. showers. This is yeah, that you're you're speaking directly to me. I do crazy things. <laughs> he was like for no I just apparent reason. Him, like, jump up in his chair. <laughs> I personally take hot showers. I enjoy my shower time. It's very therapeutic for me. It's the first thing I do and the last thing I do a day. But um you guys enjoy your cold showers, I guess. Well, I th- I think for me at least, like you were saying, it's 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 a kind of a mental toughness thing. Like randomly for no apparent reason, I'll do things that are very challenging just to see that I can do them. David Goggins calls it like the cookie jar effect. Like when you do something really hard, you can pull that out of your cookie jar whenever you do another thing that's hard and realize I did this. Like uh, just for an example, uh, about a month ago, I'd say I, my buddy challenged me. He's like, Hey, I, I ran this little trail circuit in the area. It's like six miles. And the most I really run was probably like three, four miles. I was like, I'll try it. I did it in like probably 54 minutes, not the best time or whatever. I was like, okay, that was pretty good. I got a, I got a decent time of running. And then the next week, about a week later, I didn't run the whole week. And one of my coaches, he was like, yeah, I'm going on a run. I haven't run in a long time. And he kind of motivated me. I was like, oh, I'm going to really push myself today. So I started running and then I kept running and I ended up running a half marathon when the week before the longest I'd really run was like three, four miles. And all I did it was to prove to myself, like I could do something that's this crazy. And I feel like it's so much more fulfilling and you feel so accomplished when you finish something, when you're in so much pain and it's so uncomfortable that like you can't help but smile at the end, even though you're def- like, you almost feel defeated. Yeah. You know, that, that sounds messed up, right. To, to <laughs> most people. Yeah. That's just some messed up stuff right there. But, but I, yeah, I, I can relate. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I think that's something like I relate with what you're talking about, how your mind's always just swirling. It's so like when this quarantine started, I was like, I have time to do anything and everything I've ever wanted to do. Right. That's so that's how I approached it. I was like, I'm picking up a guitar. Like <laughs> I'm doing all this stuff. And then like Jack starts a podcast. I'm like, sure. I'm going to help Jack out with this podcast. But, um, so that's like, that's kind of how I approached it. But I know a couple years ago, what would happen to me is I would just have all these ideas for various things just rolling around in my head. And then what would happen is I wouldn't be able to sleep um, because I was like afraid of losing these thoughts. And so like, I started writing a lot. Is that something that you do? Or is like, do you have any other methods for something like that? <laughs> well, I am, I am, I don't sleep much. Um, <laughs> I stay up late and I get up early. And so I'm not very healthy. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I have bad sleep. I have bad eating habits and I don't exercise as much as I used to. And well, uh, yeah, from a health standpoint, I'm not the, uh, I'm definitely not the paragon of health, but, uh, yeah, I, I have a hard time, 
uh, I have a hard time going to sleep when I do go to sleep because yeah, ideas and I will, uh, and, and I know this, this is the same as sleep, but I, I, I don't, uh, like when I'm driving, when I'm driving, I have ideas and, and it burns me up because, uh, very similar to what you said about going to sleep, you'll forget them. But, and I know this will sound like crazy, but I don't text and drive. Uh, I know you shouldn't, like, that's not a good thing, mm-hmm. but I used to do that all the time. Obviously I was successful at it because I'm still here, <laughs> but I don't do that. And so while I'm driving, it burns me up. I hate it when I'm driving and I have good ideas because I can't, like I have to repeat them in my mind sometimes over and over again. Or sometimes I'm just like, I know I'm going to forget these, but this is the one idea I got to take away from this car when I'm done with this drive, because I'm not going to put it in my phone or put a note in my phone. But when I'm sleeping, I can put a note in my phone or not when I'm sleeping, but when I'm in bed, if I can't fall asleep, I'll just put the note in my phone. But I just don't sleep a lot. I normally, like literally this week, I've, I've fallen asleep right here at my desk twice um, and woke up a couple hours later, like on my keyboard. So it's not like I purposely choose to go to bed and then I can't go to sleep sometimes. Uh, sometimes I just fall asleep here, which is a, a problem. I, there should be a support group out there for me somewhere, but... <laughs> I haven't, I haven't really looked for it yet, but I just need to get a, a less comfortable chair or a much l- a less comfortable desk to lay my head on, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What's kind of interesting and what I kind of adopted is that I had the same thing where I'm in the car and I have all these ideas. And what I'd actually do is I'd pull over just in the parking lot real quick and I'll get my voice memos out and I'll just start it and then I'll drive. And for the next, like however long the drive is, I just keep listing off my ideas out loud over and over again. And then if I finish, I just press the little radio button. I just listen to music or whatever if I don't want to um, just listen to silence anymore. But I try to get my ideas out because like when I, it was, it was kind of funny when I first started thinking about like the podcast, I had like an idea for something and I pulled over, I started recording it and I was like, this is the purpose for this whole thing. This is this and this. And I could have lost a lot of <laughs> why I wanted to do something like this. And I could have could have just seen the back of my mind. But then I like saw that and I got out of the car. I was like, oh yeah, I have that note on my phone. And I re-listened to it and I almost took notes on what I was saying. Like I was giving a lecture to myself and remembering yeah. the thoughts that went through my head. And I think just in general, uh, it, when you leave little notes for yourself like that and allow yourself to um, go back through your ideas and through your own thoughts, it allows yourself to make changes and to uh, go through those thoughts in a more organized and better way, in my opinion. Well, before, and I... I love that. I love that idea. I love that you do that. That's great. Uh, before I started listening to podcasts, maybe five or six years ago, I was a big book reader. And so I would have a book to read. I would have three books at a time. I would have my book by the bedside. So whatever book I would read before I went to bed. And that would typically be like uh, maybe a John Grisham book or a, like a fictional book where I didn't have to think much. It was just entertaining. And then I would have like my just hanging out book, my relaxing book. And then I would have, or a a book where I could maybe take notes. So maybe a coaching book or a leadership book uh, where I might take notes where I was just sitting, you know, on the front porch or something like that. And then I'd have my exercise book. So when I'm on the stationary bike, um, I would have the book that I would read that would be motivational. So you mentioned David Goggins. You cannot read David Goggins' book or the book, uh, Itzler. Uh, You can't read that on a stationary bike without setting a personal record. Like you're going to, you can't just, you know, go along for a Sunday stroll when you read some of those books. So I would read a book that was more motivational. 
So I would have three different books going at the same time. I do the thing now with podcasts. So, so that got me thinking when you talk about you in your car, when I'm in my car, I will listen to podcasts that, that are less note-taking type things where it's more, uh, and for the lack of, you know, to simplify it, I might listen to an ESPN or a sports podcast where I can get sports ideas, but it's not necessarily something that I'm going to write down necessarily. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm walking or I'm exercising, I might listen to a different podcast or when I'm exercising, I might listen to a motivational podcast. When I'm uh, out walking, I will listen to one that I can take notes with. Um, and so I just have to make sure I'm on level ground, not going to be somewhere where I'm going to step in holes or trip on something, but I'm, I'm always on my phone doing notes when I'm out walking. Yeah. yeah. And I think the what you said about like the book thing, I think I kind of do the same exact thing. I call it like controlling my environment. If I have a book around the house, most likely I'll pick it up. So I have one in the bathroom. I have one where I eat in the morning. <laughs> I have one in my car in case like something happens, my phone dies and I'm somewhere where I can't occupy myself. I need something to read. So I probably have like five or six books going at the same time, but it allows me to always be consuming different content, whatever it may be. Some of them are more serious than others. I tend to like more of like the self-help self-development books, but I like the idea of having the availability to have that knowledge or to have something to occupy uh, my mind in any given situation, especially around the house. It's, it's kind of funny that you do that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's something I know what I do is like every morning breakfast is like my briefing. So I'm like, I'll have like my phone, like the news app open and that's like, all right, I got it in for today. Um, but I know Twitter, like Twitter is also something that's like, Twitter is probably the greatest and the worst app on my phone at the same time, to be honest. Um, and it's like, that's also something where I feel like it's something where I can get, just get information about other people. I think it just depends on how you approach it, right? It's like, am I trying to like be condescending? Am I trying to win or am I just trying to like understand? Which is something we've like touched upon. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I love the, uh, uh, I cannot remember for the life of me, the guy's name, uh, but there's a general or an admiral that wrote a book called uh, Make Your Bed. Uh, oh, I know who's Oh, that. my God. Stanley? I, Is it Stanley I, I something? I, I do that based on, I saw a video on it or something. Everybody wow. listening to this right now is like playing at their, their you know, yelling into their headphones or their, their computer screen. Cause it's so obvious probably to them, but, uh, oh, I but anyways, make your bed. Ad- Admiral McRaven, I think. Yeah. Uh, yes. William McRaven. I got it. William yeah, McRaven. Making your bed, right? And- uh, start off every day, making your bed and you know, uh, Chip Kelly, the old football coach in Oregon, uh, Oregon played uh, coach in the NFL now is with UCLA, but uh, he would say, win the day, win the day. And that's, that's, you can't, it's hard to win the day if you're not winning these little battles during the day. And one of the first battles is your bed. And I know I'm, you know, I'm a guy, so I have a mentality of why do I have to make the bed? No one's going to see it. And we're just going to get into it tonight anyway, again. But it's amazing after reading that book, I'm just like, I have to make the bed. Like I have to make the bed. I'm so obsessed with it. Yeah. And uh, I actually heard him talk about that before the book came out. And so I told my players that. We were talking about winning the day. We were talking about, uh, this was maybe four years ago, five years ago. And I'm telling my players about this. And last year, I think it was, I got a text from one of my players. She had just finished uh, med school. And she said she wanted me to know that every day 
she has been making her bed and that that helped with her discipline through med school. And I was like, wow, you even remember what I said about something, you know, that's <laughs> awesome. But you know, just those little things. And, and, and yes, does that lead, like, are you more successful because you just made your bed? No, but it's that, that mentality kind of going back to Dave Ramsey, the financial stuff. It's just building habits. Yes. Financially, you should pay off the bigger debt first, but you got to build some habits and making your bed. That's a habit forming. You know, if you're going to do that, then you're going to do other stuff. You do little stuff. You're going to do little stuff during the day. And so hopefully you get enough of those good little habits and, and end up having a big habit later on. Yeah. Andy Frizzella talks about uh, winning the day as well. It's one of my favorite episodes of his podcast. I think it's like podcast 170, uh, okay. 171. And he basically, the whole podcast is about, he says, whatever you do, he goes, I do it to hundred percent. He goes, whether I'm sweeping the floor, whether I'm like wiping something off the toilet seat where I'm putting the toilet seat down or I'm putting the shoes and lining them up. He goes, I do that so that I build momentum through the day. And I know that I'm giving my best effort to each and every person and each and every task that I have to do because over time those will build. And in your mind, when you don't give that hundred percent, you'll feel guilty or you'll be like, Oh, like, why did I do that? Like that wasn't, that wasn't like me. And you build that characteristic <laughs> in yourself each and every day. Like, I remember sometime when I first kind of adopted that mindset, my mom goes, do you want something? Like, cause I was like, I did the dishes or I, I was tidying up like the mudroom to make it look nice. She was like, what do you want? Like, why are you doing all these things? And I kind of explained to her, I said, I'm just trying to become uh, a, like a, a person that is willing to give that hundred percent that doesn't leave um, when they, they don't wipe the table after they eat, they just see something there and they leave it. Like someone else will pick it up that mentality. You have to be able to take accountability for, uh, things in your life, like picking up your room, like making sure things look nice, that you clean things because at the end of the day, that's like your characteristic and that is kind of who you are, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love that from, uh, from Andy, those, those comments and yeah, absolutely. The little things, you know, make those habits, get those habits going momentum somehow. Uh, and yeah, I, I've, I've kind of lived by that for a long time. Just get those habits going. Uh, I wish I'd say that I always do it right. And uh, probably my wife would wish that instead of making the bed, I'd pick up my socks or pick up all the clothes that I put in the corner of the, the room sometimes or, or do the dishes more often. Uh, she'd, I'm sure there's different habits she would rather have me have than make the bed, but right. you know, baby steps. It happens. I know, like, there's, um, so I'm like, I uh, I'm a student at our department um, at Equal, and that's something that they drill into us. Is um, there's this quote by Aristotle: "You are uh, you are what you repeatedly do. Excellence that is not an act but a habit." Um, and so, like he's actually just saying what we were just talking about, right? If you repeatedly practice going 100%, and it's like how when you're a coach, right? You want to give your players game day conditions so that they're ready for game day. Um, and so if you're giving, if you're giving all of them, uh, if you're giving in your hundred percent all the time, it becomes a habit instead of just something that happens. Once in a while. Yeah. And I don't know if you've been watching the last dance or seen that with, with Michael Jordan and the Chicago bulls and like Michael Jordan. And, and he's not the only one. He just obviously took it to another level, but you know, those guys at that elite level, they just, they can't turn it on and off. Like they, they have one switch and that's, their habit is to be excellent. Like you, you mentioned the Aristotle quote, excellence, you know, uh, excellence is a habit. Um, you know, what we do repeatedly and, and, 
you know, th- that, that is something that, uh, you know, these guys can't turn on and off. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what they're playing, what they're, what they're competing in. Uh, they're gonna, they're gonna give their all. Now they might not be great. Like Michael Jordan wasn't great at baseball, but he was, Michael Jordan was much, uh, that's one of the most, um, underrated accomplishments probably people say that he was a failure at baseball he wasn't a failure at all at baseball he was actually amazing at baseball for somebody that didn't play baseball Uh, (laughs) i mean his his stats and what he was able to do as a fielder was was stuff that guys that have played baseball their whole life weren't doing um now he didn't make it to the you know we we compare uh, we compare his baseball to the expectation that everybody's going to make it to the pros and, right. and that's awesome. the same way people say, well, LeBron James could be a great NFL tight end. No, LeBron James wouldn't be if he tried to be a great tight end right now um, because he's not a football player right now. Uh, don't compare him you know, that way. Uh, and, and Teddy Roosevelt said comparison is, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I can't even remember. It doesn't matter, but comparison's bad. Comparison is bad. <laughs> That's what he said. Comparison is bad, everybody. <laughs> um, so, sorry, no, go on, Jack. Uh, just like another idea about Michael Jordan. He, they used to say that they play a game with a quarter and they try to stay, stand like 10, 15 feet away from a wall and him and his security would throw a quarter at the wall and they would bet like whoever got the quarter the closest to the wall with actually hitting the wall would win the money. And he was acting like it was – the NBA finals and he was hitting the final shot and he was happy to take those guys money when he ended up winning because he was so focused, but it just goes to show that attention to detail is so important with those guys. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's healthy. I I probably actually, I would probably say that's not healthy. Like from a, a human standpoint, (laughs) like that's, it's hard to sustain that and it can be unhealthy. You know, uh, you know, you don't want to be blocking the shot of your 10-year-old every time and blocking it right back in his face and giving him a bloody nose because, hey, he's got to learn competition. Yeah, it's probably not healthy for that kid. But with all that being said, the point of your habits, everything that you're doing, you know, you're not picking and choosing when you're going to go hard. You're going hard all the time for the most part. Now, obviously, there's things about you can't go hard all the time because then you'll burn out. I get that to some degree. Um you know, sometimes you got to pace yourself. Sometimes you got to take a break, you know, all that stuff. I get that. But from a theory standpoint or from a, uh, you know, a conceptual standpoint, uh, you need those habits and you need to be doing things all the time and, and not just picking and choosing because, you know, the Navy SEALs, they talk about you don't, when, when pressure comes, you don't rise to the occasion you rise to the level of your training or you sink to the level of your training, either one that you don't just turn it on and off. If you're a basketball player, you don't just turn it on because the popcorn's popping and the lights are on. You turn it on because you trained for that moment. Right. Um, you know, the same way with you, Jack, you know, if, if you are in a pressure situation, it's a game point type situation or, or you have to break serve to uh, mm-hmm. you know, a break point type thing. It's not because all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, I'm going to be mentally tough right now. Oh, I'm going to break serve. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to buckle down right now because this is go time. No, it's because you've had a lot of go times in the past and you've responded. You've trained for that go time. It's not just because you tell yourself, oh, I'm going to be mentally tough today. This is the time when I'm going to be tough. No, you have habits and you've trained for that situation. Yeah. I totally agree. 
Um, so we're just going to start wrapping up a little bit. So these are, um, well, we normally had two questions that uh, we like to ask everybody, but I tacked on a third one that want to, we're going to pilot it with you. So um, <laughs> All right. the first All one right. is, um, do you think it's better to be loved or feared? As a leader, this one was inspired by, I don't know if you've read The Prince by Machiavelli or if you just heard of it in general, but that's like his general thing, right? He's like, in order to be a good prince, you be feared. But like, that's like the, that's like his main question in his book. Machiavelli's a punk. <laughs> um, the Machiavellian, Machiavelli's type stuff, that works in the short term. Uh, you can you can be conniving or you can be a little schemer, and I'm being very simple minded with with those phrases. Right. Uh, but you know that that style, I think that works. That does work in the short term. Uh, I think the House of Cards type stuff, nice. uh, that works short term. I, I I would 100% rather be loved because I. But that also can get into naive. Uh, you know it, you can you know. It, and when I talk about love and when I talk about all this uh, servant leadership stuff, I'm not talking about like kumbaya, let's sit in a circle, share all the time. Let's hold hands. Let's, let's be cheerleaders with pom-poms. You know, when we're down 20, we're still saying we can win. You know, I'm not saying all this positivity uh, stuff, rainbows and butterflies. I'm saying positivity, love with substance. And so I want love out of my people because I want them to see that I care and I can help them get to where they need to be and that they need me, not that they fear me, but that they need me. They understand that I can help take them to where they need to go and together we'll get there or get there together. Um, and, and I think they'll love me for that or respect me for that. Awesome. The next question is, uh, do you have two books that have had a lasting impact on you that you could share with us? Yeah, I got uh, this one called The Bus Trip. You wrote that, correct? Yes, by Jamie Beckler and this other one. Those are two books. How's that for a terrible hashtag shameless plug? <laughs> um, other than the Bible, which is, which is almost always should be an answer to that favorite book type thing. Um, couple of the books that I think are, gosh, I'm, I love books. And so this is like asking me, you know, this is a tough question, but uh, the one that I always give pretty much first is how to win friends and influence people. It's a very old book by Dale Carnegie, but it's, it, it still holds true to the principles are still true. Now the, the language, the verbiage or the, the kind of the stories are dated, but the same, the concepts, true today how to win friends influence people about connecting the other one is also kind of old not as old as that is seven habits of highly effective people with Stephen Covey mm -hmm. uh, both of those books but I mean I can't pick a John Maxwell book uh, I can't pick just one I mean the, oh, I, I mean I guess if I was going to pick one it'd be like his main one 21 irrefutable laws of leadership uh, the 21 laws of leadership uh, would be the one I would pick, but John Gordon books for sports, John Maxwell books just for life. Um, but those would be the two books I would say, uh, if you had to pin me down, those are the two books I talk about the most probably. Awesome. And okay. the final question that we have for you is that if you can go back and speak to yourself in high school, 
what would be the one piece of advice that you would give yourself? <laughs> this is a, this is a good question. Um, I think you got me at a loss for words here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, golly, man. That, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't come up with a question. I listened to a podcast once and they said this to each of their guests and I realized this is an incredible question. <laughs> it, it is because, because I'm, I'm thinking of like 10 different things all at once right now. Like I'm thinking of all these things and like this is even harder than finding the two books, you know, out of hundreds and hundreds. Um, like a month ago, I came up with my recommended books like a hundred recommended books broken down by category. And I still had a hard time just coming up with only a hundred. Um, so this, this question is, is tough for me as well. Um, and because, and I'm going to give you a cop out answer. And as a podcast host, I hate cop out answers myself, <laughs> but I've, I've not always made the right choices but almost every choice I've made has turned out all right because I've made it turn out all right. If kind of, if that makes sense. Like I've mm -hmm. tried to make the best of it. Um, and yeah, like maybe I dated wrong. Like I can think of like three or four people I dated. I shouldn't have dated, mm -hmm. but all of them I can think of, I learned something from each of those things. So to go back and say, don't date this person or don't play this sport or don't do that. Like, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw this story out because it goes into leadership. I, I, it starts one of my books uh, or it's at the start of one of my books and because it's about band. So I'm, I'm giving it to you, Namish, but I'm in band class and I hate band class because I'm an athlete and being in band stinks. Now that's a terrible, terrible attitude. It's the wrong attitude, but that's what I had as a 15 year old or a 16 year old. And so me and my buddy are in band and I'm the first trumpet, he's second trumpet. And we come up with this way to stay from being bored and we come up with this point system. So anytime that the teacher stops the class because, or stops the song because we screw up, we get like a point. Every time that they, he gives me like a dirty look, I get a point. Like if they throw an eraser at me, I get a point. So this one day I'm doing, I'm doing awesome, meaning I'm accumulating a lot of points. All right. I'm screwing up the band a lot. Nice. Yeah. He stops the band, he stops the song and I'm like, all right, bonus. He looks at me. I'm like, yes. And he goes, Jamie, there are two types of people in this world. Those who lead forward and those who lead us backwards. Now get out. And he kicked me out of class and I was pretty embarrassed, but Actually, I won the day because you automatically win if you get kicked out. It doesn't matter how many points. So, but I, I, yeah. So I, I think about that and I'm like, okay, stuff like that, I regret. Like, I regret that I was a stupid punk kid, you know, and that here I was, you know, supposed to be this athlete leader and I'm acting like a horse's patoot. And so I regret that kind of stuff. But I also learned from that and I've been able to share that story and kind of get some leadership stuff in people's heads from that way that, that you can lead us forward, you can lead us backwards. So I'm giving you a cop-out answer, but almost everything that I thought of, 10, 10, about 10 things I just thought of, all of them, I was able to turn into something good or I learned something from them. So there's nothing major. I'm sorry. 
I'll probably think, I, I will probably think of something 30 minutes from now. It's like the, the joke or the response Yeah. that, well, uh, you know, I, I wish I had said that. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing though, <laughs> is that that is a consistent answer with podcasts I've heard. And uh, like a few guests that I've had is that they, they do say that each thing that happened to them was a lesson that they needed to learn and that ha- has developed them into the person that they are today. So I, I, I'll take that answer. I do not believe that is a cop-out answer. And with that said, thank you so much, uh, Jamie, for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you. Um, and obviously, uh, you've shared some amazing knowledge with all our listeners. So I'll let you really quick do an unshameless plug and you can tell people <laughs> where to find you, whether it's your podcast, your books, your website, just so uh, anyone who wants to learn more about what you do uh, can go and find your resources. Yeah, I appreciate that. If, if anyone's looking for, I, I know if you're listening to this, you're either uh, friends with these two yahoos or you like podcasts. And so I appreciate uh, being on this, but if uh, you're looking for another podcast to uh, come to your phone automatically, the success is a choice podcast is one that I host and uh, we are all over the place. We are completely schizophrenic with our guest list. And uh, I mean, we've, we, uh, I believe in the same week I interviewed a, a pastor that did like uh, uh, movies facing the giants and, and stuff like that. Courageous and fireproof. And I also, to pussycat doll in the in the same week um so we're all across the board we have athletes we have business people we have authors we have entertainers um so we're all across the board so we uh talk to them about what's made them successful in life so uh success is a choice podcast and uh you can find me on twitter at coach beckler awesome i appreciate you coming on that is all we got for the 5m hustle podcast uh I'm glad you guys were able to listen to this amazing episode with Jamie. Uh, Go check out all of his stuff. Um, And as always, peace.